Man, so some of you may know this. I used to be a teacher, and every morning I would greet my class and I would say, good morning, and the expectation was that they would all respond in unison, and if they didn't do a good job, then I made them all stand up and pretend there was electricity in the air and say, go, good morning, and they'd all have to act like that. We just got to be in the presence of God. There's already the electricity in the air, and so I'm going to say good morning one more time, and if the response is, we're all going to have to stand up and, you know, so good morning. There we go. I like that. Hey, I want to take one more opportunity to thank Stephanie and the worship team. Can we just give them a hand? Absolutely. As we've we've heard this morning, you guys know Stephanie is the wife of Jeremy Mahan, and Jeremy is our youth leader. And this morning is is Jeremy's last morning with us. Um, And we're going to take time at the end of our service to honor Jeremy and to um, thank Jeremy, even though he asked us not to do that. He said, please don't honor me. But if I've learned something in the three years that I've, I've been here is that we don't listen to Jeremy. <laughs> Jeremy's our youth guy, so we don't listen to Jeremy. So we're going to do that anyways, Jeremy. I'm sorry. We are going to take time to honor you and to thank you for your years of service here. My name is Roly Resendez. I am the associate pastor and the worship pastor here at Discovery. Um, I've been here a little over three years, and this morning we are going to take some time to wrap up our Acts series. It's called Turn the World Upside Down, and we picked that phrase because we just love the the visual of the message of Christ coming and turning the world upside down. This comes from um, Acts 17 when um, Paul is in Athens, and he's preaching, and he's causing quite a stir, and, and um, some of the, the Jewish leaders and the Greek citizens come, and they say, these men who have turned the world upside down have come here, and they're really upset about it, and we just love that idea because as a church, sharing the gospel um, in the places that we are should be turning our worlds upside down, and the people around us be turning their worlds upside down, and so that is why we named it Turn the World Upside Down. Um, if you don't have a Bible, Please raise your hand, and one of our ushers will be uh, happy to bring you a Bible. They're there at the middle tables. Um, We want to make sure that you've got a Bible to follow along with today. And if you don't own a Bible, please take this home with you. We want everybody to have access to the Word of God, to to learn more about who God is, and to study the Word of God. And so if you don't own a Bible, please take this with you as a gift from Discovery. We want you to have it. So recapping Acts. The goal of our series, we've spent 10 weeks all summer talking through Acts, and the goal that we had was as a church, we would catch the vision that God has for his people to participate together in his mission to reach our city and world. And again, we want to turn the world upside down. And I think if we're honest, I don't know that I would say we fully got it. At the end of these 10 weeks, I don't think that we have fully embodied that that goal, that we are a church on mission. And and I'm just going to say, you know what, that's okay. Um, because spreading the gospel isn't something that just stops now that our act series is over. It's not just something that like, all right, we're finished, summer's moved on to the next series, we're done. No, this is something that we are continually growing in and continually doing, so the fact that we haven't mastered it yet is okay as long as we continually pursue that. Um, but this morning, the first, what I want to talk about is the fact that I'm not supposed to be here. And I don't just mean like standing here preaching that I should be holding a guitar, which would make a lot more sense for some people, but being here in Discovery on this stage, this is not where I'm supposed to be. This was not the plan that I had for my life. This is not when I had laid out my goals and where I thought I would be going. This wasn't it. Um, As I mentioned earlier, I went to school to be a teacher. 
And so I, I did all the schooling, the grad work, everything that requires you to become a teacher. Um, I got hired right out of school teaching high school, and so everything was going pretty smoothly. Um, at the time, the, the, the budget in California was actually better than it is now, but in a state that teachers were constantly being laid off, especially new teachers, because they've been slashing budgets for teachers. And so I got hired, spent a year teaching, got laid off. Got hired at a new school, spent a year teaching, got laid off. Got hired at a new school, got laid off. And that cycle continued for a long time until finally, after about six or seven years, I landed in a spot where I didn't get laid off. And I got to continue to teach and continue to refine my skill and, and work towards the ever-important tenure where you, they can't get rid of you, um, which is kind of the goal for the teacher, right? And so um, that's what I was pursuing. In the part-time, on the side, I also served in the church. I grew up in the church, and when you grow up in the church and you are gifted musically, you're often asked to help lead and to serve, and so I did that. I spent probably 20 hours a week outside of teaching, pouring into the college ministry at my home church, leading worship, and I, I loved doing it. And I really felt there was a lot of fruit from that. We saw the ministry grow. We saw lives change, and it was great. Um, and then about four years into that, five years into that, I very clearly heard God say, I want you to give up teaching and go into ministry. To which I very quickly responded, no, that's crazy. You don't know what you're talking about. Like, I'm doing what I'm supposed to be doing. I got my plan. Like, I went to school. I'm teaching. I'm in a good place. And I'm also still serving you on the side. I'm using the gifts you gave me. And that's what I'm supposed to do. So, nope, I'm good. Thanks anyways. Um, But God continued to pursue me. And continued to say, no, I want you to do this. I want you to do this. I want you to do this. And so finally, um, I said, okay, if this is what you want me to do, I'll do it. And so ironically, in March of 2014, I got tenured. And I said, all right, here you go. And like like I said earlier, that's like the goal of teachers. You can't get rid of me. I can show up looking more scruffy than this, and they still can't get rid of me. Um, So March of 2014, I got tenured. And June of 2014, I resigned and turned in my resignation. Um, my wife and I sold our house that we owned, that our kids were, were born in. We left all of our friends and family that I had known my entire life. My wife, my wife left her nursing job, and we moved uh, to Davis for a part-time worship job here at Discovery. Um, that, that wasn't my plan. That was a detour that God had for me. Didn't line up with the plan that I had. And I started asking myself, God, why... Why do you allow for these detours? Why, why do you get us off of our plans? Because I felt like God had said to me, you know, you can continue doing what you're doing and, and do good things for me. Or you can trust the plan that I have for you and do great things. And so I came to the realization that the, God allows for these detours because God has gospel intentions for the detours in our lives. God wants to accomplish something great through you and through me. And the detours that he puts us on are part of that process. They're part of the story that he gives us with the intention of spreading the gospel. And so this morning, the title of my message is Road Work Ahead. Because you can't have a detour without there being some road work. And so this morning, as we wrap up the Acts series, I want to point out four things that I believe Christ aims to accomplish through the detours in our lives and through our stories. 
Before we jump into that, though, I got to give a little backstory to the text because last week we, we left off in Acts 17, and this morning we're going to jump to Acts 26. So it's about nine chapters that we're going to jump ahead. And what happens in those nine chapters basically is Paul travels all over the place. He visits Antioch, he visits, visits Corinth, he goes to um, Ephesus, and eventually our beloved Paul, our little troublemaker, finds himself in Jerusalem and he's arrested again. Back in jail. He'd been preaching the gospel, got people fired up, and they threw him in jail. And they, there was a plot to kill Paul, and in, in the process of being tried, he said, you know what, I'm a Roman citizen, I appeal to Caesar. I want to go to Rome, and I want to make my case before Paul. Instead of sending him there, they sent him up the road to a town called Caesarea. And Paul begins a little detour of his own. He's trying to get to Rome, and for the next two years, he is on house arrest in Caesarea, um, waiting for his opportunity to go to Rome. And so where we pick it up, Paul is about to go before um, the governor and the king of the area, King Agrippa, to make his plea. And this is actually something that Jesus foretold for all of us in Luke 21, where he says, you will be persecuted, you will be brought in prisons, you will be brought before governors and kings for my name's sake, and this will be your opportunity to spread the gospel. And so that's where we find Paul. And so you have your Bibles. Go ahead and open them to Acts 26. That is where we are going to pick it up. If you've got one of the Bibles from the church, that's page 800. Make it a little bit easier for you. Um, So starting in verse 1. So Agrippa said to Paul, you have permission to speak for yourself. Then Paul stretched out his hand and made his defense. I consider myself fortunate that as before you, King Agrippa, I am going to make my defense today against all the accusations of the Jews, especially because you are familiar with all the customs and controversies of the Jews. Therefore, I beg you to listen to me patiently. My manner of life from my youth, spent from the beginning among my own nation and in Jerusalem, is known by all the Jews. They have known for a long time, if they are willing to testify, that according to the strictest party of our religion, I have lived as a Pharisee. And now I stand here on trial because of my hope and the promise made by God to our fathers, to which our twelve tribes hope to attain as they earnestly worship day and night. And for this hope, I am accused by Jews, O king. Why is it thought incredible by any of you that God raises the dead? I myself was convinced that I ought to do many things in opposing the name of Jesus of Nazareth. And I did so in Jerusalem. I not only locked up many of the saints in prison after receiving authority from the chief priests, but when they were put to death, I cast my vote against them. And I punished them often in all the synagogues and tried to make them blasphemy. And in raging fury against them, I persecuted them even to the foreign cities. So what Paul's doing is he's telling a story. The beginning of his testimony before King Agrippa is his story. In this connection, I journeyed to Damascus. With the, authority of the, with the authority and commission of the chief priests. At midday, O king, I saw on the way a light from heaven, brighter than the sun that shone around me and those who journeyed with me. And when we had all fallen to the ground, I heard a voice saying to me in the Hebrew language, Saul, Saul, why are you persecuting me? It is hard for you to kick against the goads. So that phrase, kicking against the goads, is probably a little odd to those of us nowadays, but in Paul's time, that was a very common phrase. A goad is basically a sharp stick with a point that was either attached to a plow or the person running the plow would hold it. And if the ox would kick or get off their path, they would kick against the goad. And so God is saying to Paul, it is hard for you to kick against the goads. And I said, who are you, Lord? And the Lord said, I am Jesus, whom you are persecuting. But rise and stand upon your feet, For I have appeared to you for this purpose, to appoint you as a servant and witness to the things in which you have seen me 
and to those in which I will appear to you, delivering you from your people and from the Gentiles to whom I am sending you. So I'm going to stop right there. The first thing that Christ aims to accomplish through our story is that God intends that we go and tell. He says it right there. But rise and stand upon your feet, for I have appeared to you for this purpose, to appoint you as a servant and witness to the things in which you have already seen me and to those in which I will appear to you, delivering you from your people, from the Gentiles, to whom I am sending you. Our stories are intended to be a tool to spread the gospel. It's intended to be a resource for us in spreading the gospel. Several weeks ago, Jeff Kaiser, our transition pastor, gave a message in our Acts series called Already Sent. And the point of his message was that when we think about missionaries, we don't need to think about the Green Beret of the church or the special forces. It's all of us. We are the missionaries of the church. Okay? This is why God has already placed us where we need to be. We live in the midst of a lost culture. You don't have to go looking far to find someone who's lost, okay? Last week, Tom said that Paul spent time preaching the word of God, not only in the synagogues, which would be the church, but also in the public places. He spent time preaching the gospel in the market, in the legal places, okay? That's what we're called to do. The gospel intention that God has for our detours, one of those is that he intends for us to go and tell. Church, we don't need an overcomplicated strategy for spreading the gospel, It's called open your mouth. And that may sound blunt, but that's the truth. The strategy is open your mouth and share the gospel with the people that you are surrounded by. We we see this modeled in the relationship between God and Jesus. Think back to before Jesus came to earth, up in heaven. God says, I'm going to send you to earth so that they can know about me. And then Jesus says, just as the Father has sent me to his disciples, now I send you. Okay, this is something that we see replicated that we are called to do, to go out and uh, spread the gospel. Something else that Tom said last week that really kind of stuck in me was, he said for a number of years, his evangelistic strategy was, I'm just going to be a good person, and eventually that's going to lead to some gospel conversations. And it stuck with me because that was my evangelistic strategy for a number of years. When I was 19 maybe 20 years old, I had a summer job. I got to work for 7-Up. It was a really cool job. I got to drive around this really sweet VW bus. On one side, it said, make seven. On the other side, it said, up yours. Make seven, up yours. Get it? It was very edgy. It was the perfect place. And I got, to, I got in all kinds of trouble. I actually got banned from Winco for life, um, which is another story. It's a true story. But, um, but one of the things that we would do often was we'd stock shelves, we'd build displays, and I would get to hang out with the Pepsi guys and the Coke guys because we all hit the same stores and we'd all have to stock the same shelves and, and do our thing. And so um, one time there was a guy who worked for Coke, his name was Seth, and he actually came to me and he said, you know what, there is something different about you. I've noticed that you don't swear like the rest of the guys, you don't tell dirty jokes, you always seem to be in a good mood. What, what is it that's different about you? And so I actually got to share the gospel with him. But ask me, how many other times in the 36 years that I've lived on this earth have I got to share the gospel with somebody because I was a good person? Zero. So one time in 36 years has me being a good person actually yielded a gospel conversation. Now, I'm no mathematician, but you could talk to Kevin, our resident math geek, and he would probably tell you that's enough for us just to be a good person. You guys, we need to actually go and tell God has gospel intentions for the detours that he puts you on. And one of those is that he intends for you to go and tell. Let's keep looking. Let's pick it up again uh, in verse um, 
16. But rise and stand upon your feet, for I have appeared to you for this purpose, to appoint you as a servant and witness to the things in which you have seen me and to those in which I will appear to you, delivering you from, the people, from your people and from the Gentiles to whom I am sending you, to open their eyes. We're going to stop right there because the second thing that Christ aims to accomplish through our stories is that we open the eyes of unbelievers. Church, uh, we are not the only ones that have a plan for Davis. We're not the only ones who have a plan for Davis. Do you know who else has a plan for Davis? Satan. Satan has a plan for Davis. And his plan is to blind the the eyes of believers to the truth. We see this. 2 Corinthians 4.4, it says, In their case, the God of this world, Satan, has blinded the minds of the unbelievers to keep them from seeing the light of the gospel of the glory of Christ, who is the image of God. Satan has a plan. It's to blind believers to the truth. Anybody football fans? A few of you. I'm a big football fan. I'm really excited because today is actually opening weekend for the NFL. And so all the games are starting. Um, Several years ago, there was a scandal that hit the NFL known as Spygate. Some of you may be familiar with this. But Spygate, basically what happened was Bill Belichick, who is the head coach of the New England Patriots, he got in trouble for Jeremy. Really? I thought you were like a Miami fan. Anyways, I digress. (laughs) Yeah, youth, what do you do? <laughs> Man. So Bill Belichick basically got in trouble for spying on other teams. He videotaped their practices, hoping to pick up a competitive advantage. He wanted to read their defensive hand signals, know what they were doing, figure out their game plan, and he got in trouble for it. But that was his goal. I'm going to spy on them, and I'm going to find out what they're doing so I can win. And it dawned on me, church, we don't have to spy on Satan. We know what he's going to do. All you got to do is open the Bible and see it right there, that his game plan is to blind unbelievers to the light of Jesus Christ. We don't have to videotape anything. We know what he's going to do. Through God, we get to open the eyes of the blind. We partner with the Holy Spirit through prayer and through witness to open the eyes of unbelievers. And it's not enough for us just to pray for the lost. We have to actually witness to them. I've been praying for my neighbor since we moved to Woodland for three years that he, would, that he would find Christ. But if I never take the opportunity to witness to him, it's not going to happen for me. I, hopefully somebody else will, but it's not going to happen for me. And it's important that we partner with the Holy Spirit because through the Holy Spirit, God's wisdom is revealed. As believers, we are called to plant the seed of truth, into the minds of unbelievers. And then the Holy Spirit comes and convicts them of that truth and brings a recognition of that truth. 1 Corinthians 2, 11 through 13 says, For who knows a person's thoughts except the spirit of that person, which is in him? So, no, so also no one comprehends the thoughts of God except the spirit of God. Now we have received not the spirit of the world, but the spirit who is from God, that we might understand the things freely given us by God, And we impart this in words not taught by human wisdom, but taught by the Spirit. Basically, what what Paul's saying is that who knows your thoughts better than your own spirit? Who knows the thoughts of God better than his spirit? We have been given that spirit, and that is why we partner with the Holy Spirit. We should be praying daily that the Holy Spirit would fill us and empower us to go and witness, because we have the same power. We know the thoughts of God. And we are called to plant with the Holy Spirit that seed of truth into the mind of unbelievers so that the Holy Spirit can then bring the recognition of that truth. God, 
God has gospel intentions for the detours that you are on. And part of that is to open the eyes of unbelievers. Let's keep going through Acts. Again, we'll start back at 16 again. But rise and stand upon your feet, for I have appeared to you for this purpose, to appoint you as a servant and a witness to the things in which you have seen me and to those in which I will appear to you, delivering you from your people and from the Gentiles to whom I am sending you to open their eyes so that they may turn from darkness to light and from the power of Satan to God, that they may receive forgiveness of sins and a place among those who are sanctified by faith in me. The third thing that Christ aims for us to accomplish is actually a result of it. We share the gospel so that people would turn from darkness to light. Part of our detours are designed to help people open their eyes and to turn from darkness to light. You know, the only power that Satan has over us is through deceit and lies. He is the king of lies. And we defeat those lies and deceits by declaring the truth, by letting the light of Christ shine into the darkness. You guys have all heard the song, this little light of mine, I'm going to let it shine. That's, that's it. It's very simple. We are to let our lights shine into the dark places to defeat the lies of the enemy, to defeat the deceit. 2 Corinthians 4, 6, For God who said, let light shine out of darkness, has shown in our hearts to give the light of the knowledge of the glory of God in the face of Jesus Christ. When we spread the gospel, the light of Christ shines into the darkness that is in the world. That's what we are called to do. And Satan, he does all that he can to hold us by lies. He does all that he can to slow us down and to stop us from doing this. Some of the lies that he tells us are, this is the job of missionaries. Don't worry about it. This isn't for you. Or, you know what, your story's not that great. Who's possibly going to listen to you? Or, you know what, you've got more important things to focus on. Go back to work. Go back to school. Go back to whatever you're doing at home. For me, in, in my detour, some of the lies that I bought into was Satan saying, you know what, man, you guys finally made it. You're tenured, your wife's working as a nurse, you guys are making a lot of money, you're comfortable, you don't want to do that. Or, um, you know, do you really want to do this? I'm going to surround you with people who aren't going to really encourage you to do this. Or even, you know what, you're not going to be very good at this. Are you sure that you want to give all this up to do something that you're not going to be very good at? Satan does all that he can to hold us by lies, to enable us, to prevent us from doing what God has asked us to do. How do we defeat lies? Oh, we defeat lies with the full armor of God. I would encourage you to go back in our Ephesians series and listen to the message that Jeremy preached on the armor of God. It was outstanding. I'm just going to highlight a couple of things. The first thing that we do is we put on the belt of truth, which the Bible says defeats lies. Like if I'm going up against somebody who's going to lie to me, I want this awesome weapon that defeats lies. I'm strapping on the WWE belt that defeats lies. Okay, I'm going to hold up the shield of faith, which, dis which extinguishes the flaming arrows of the enemy. Satan is flinging lies at you left and right, and I want that shield to protect me. I want to wield the sword of truth, which is the, the word of God. I want to be prepared in all that I do to defeat the lies so that when the world sees the truth, when they see the surpassing greatness of God, the holiness that is God, those lies are extinguished. They are gone. What Satan offers us, what he tells us, it's fleeting. It's second rate. Satan says, I've got happiness for you, but happiness is cheap. God offers, God offers joy, which is everlasting. And that's what we are called to do. God has gospel intentions for the detours in our life so that we can open the eyes of the blind through telling our stories 
and to bring them from the darkness to the light. We're going to jump ahead in Acts because Paul continues to tell his story. He continues to make his case before King Agrippa. Um, And so we're going to pick it up in verse 28 because I love what happens at the end of this passage. Paul is sharing his story, and King Agrippa said to Paul, In a short time, would you persuade me to be a Christian? And Paul said, Whether short or long, I would to God that not only you, but also all who hear me this day might become such as I am except for these chains. So Paul is telling his story, and the king stops. He goes, Whoa, 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 Paul. Are you trying to make me a Christian? And Paul says, duh. Yeah, you and everybody else who hears me. I want you to be just like me except for these chains. I want you to have what I have. That's what Paul's doing, and that's what God is asking us to do. Oh, this, is, this was the goal of our series, that we would, we would catch the vision that God has for us to set people free. Last week, Tom said something that I thought was so profound. He said, God didn't create a mission for his church. He created a church for his mission. That is part of this mission, to spread the gospel. This is what we're supposed to be doing. God has put us on these detours for a reason. He has taken me off the plan that I had for my life for a reason. And I want to pause because I know that there are some of you out there right now who are saying, you know what, that's really easy for you to say. Your detour worked out pretty good. You ended up in a pretty good place. Um, but I hate where I am. Not, I'm not, not me personally, but some of you might be saying, I hate where I am right now. I hate the detour that God has me on. I hate that my plan didn't go according to my plan. And I wanted to start by saying that that's okay. It's okay to not like where you are. And again, I would encourage you to go back and listen to Jeremy's message from a couple of weeks ago that was called Amidst the Pain, In the Midst of Pain, where he does a great job of talking about how it's okay to, to be upset. Too often we, we say, oh, it's, you know what, God's got a plan, let's just move on. It's okay to take a minute and acknowledge that I don't like where I am. It's okay to do that. Um, you know, I, I was listening to the radio, and we listen to a lot of, of Christian radio because I'm always kind of doing research for songs. And I heard a song the other day that talked about how we have a God who is a God of the hills and valleys. And I've also heard it described as like the highlights and the lowlights. That we have a God who is with us when we are in the valleys, and also a God who is with us in the mountains, in the high points. So what it, what it means is that when you are in that valley, when you are in that low moment, it's okay to say, man, I don't like this. But God is with you. It's okay to say, I am so unhappy, but God is with you. And eventually, you will come out of that valley. And when you get up on the mountain, do you take time to look back and say, what did I learn from that? What did God have for me in that? Because honestly, my detour hasn't been that great either. It's been really great. There have been times where I've been like, man, God has used me to transform lives. I've got to sit and disciple people. One of the guys who I've sat with now wants to go into ministry full time, which just, just wells up my heart. But it hasn't been rainbows and unicorns the whole time. I got hired and came into a church, and two months later, someone on staff got dismissed. That's not fun. I came in a time when our lead pastor was burned out and tired and had to step down. My wife, bless her heart, recognizing that God called me into this and willing to take a part-time job, worked extra to try to support us, but in that process, dealt with so much stress, stress and anxiety that she had to quit her job. We, we went through a miscarriage constantly being bombarded by the flaming arrows of the enemy. And it was okay for me to sit in that time and and have her and I discuss how this has been the worst year of our marriage. 
And for me to sit and say, you know what? It's okay that we're not happy because God is with us. And now as I come out of this and I sit on the, the mountain, I can look back and say, God, what is it you had for me in this? The other thing that I would, would say to you is don't buy the lie that you have to do it alone. If you are in that moment, if you are in that time where you hate where you are, Satan is lying to you and telling you that you should do this on your own, that nobody's going to understand what you're going through and you're better off just to sit by yourself. But the Bible tells us to not neglect meeting together like some have. We are told to gather together, to support one another. I would encourage you to press into community. If you are in that moment, don't do it. Don't go it alone. Don't buy the lies that the enemy is telling you. As a church, we want to encourage you. We want to come alongside you. We offer prayer every week right over here at the left-hand side of the stage. Every month, we have two prayer meetings at our downtown office, the second and fourth Mondays. We want to be a community that prays for one another, to support you, so that when I am in that low moment, I'm not going it alone, but I have people around me praying for me and encouraging me. Don't buy the lie that Satan is selling you that you need to do it alone. You guys, God has gospel intentions for the detours in your life. He has a plan and he has a purpose. He wants us to go and to tell. He wants us to open the eyes of the unbelievers, to bring them from the darkness into the light so that they would have the promise that God has offered to all of us. I'm going to wrap up here really quick. And I, there are four things that I want us to kind of walk away with. I guess you'd call it the application. The first thing is you have to know your story. You can't tell your story if you don't know what it is. And I would encourage you to take time to figure out what is my story. Write it down. Practice telling somebody. You know, the story that I told you guys this morning, that was my story. The first time I kind of like retold it, I told it to my wife. And she's like, why'd you leave out all the, all the bad stuff? Don't leave out any of the gruesome details. Paul didn't leave out the part about him persecuting Christians and voting that they get put to death. That's part of our story. So often we try to put on these masks and say like, oh yeah, everything's great, I'm perfect. And we're not, and it's okay to admit that. Know your story, practice it. Don't leave out the gory details. You've got to do that. The second thing I would encourage you to do is you need to see the gospel intentions in your detour. You need to take the time to see that. For some of us, we've been on this detour for five years, 10, 15, maybe 20 years You've been kicking against the goads. And you haven't taken time to ask God, why? What is the gospel intention you have in this? And I would encourage you, if, if that's you, in a minute, when we go into our response time and we take communion, I would encourage you to spend some time praying, to ask God, what is the plan you have for this? Because it's not going the way that I have planned. So God, what is the gospel intention that you have in this? The third thing I would tell you to do is, Again, from the, from the full armor of God. Put on the shoes of readiness. And you can look at this in Ephesians chapter 6 where, where Paul talks about the full armor of God. Put on your shoes of readiness, which comes from um, the gospel of peace, knowing that God is with you. Your shoes are on and you're ready to go. No one's going to run a marathon barefoot. Thing, right? You're not going to go out there and run barefoot. You're going to put your shoes on. Be ready. And the fourth thing is pray for opportunity and trust that God will use you. Pray for opportunities. I don't do that enough. I don't spend enough time praying that God would give me an opportunity to share the gospel. And maybe it's because I don't trust that he'll use me. And I would encourage you this morning, take time to pray for opportunities. Pray for the lost. Pray for the person that you want to witness to. 
and trust that God is going to use you. I'm going to invite the, the worship team to come back up. We're going to do things a little bit different this morning, church. Usually we'll take time to have kind of elongated worship and, and prayer. But this morning, as I mentioned earlier, we want to take time to honor and recognize Jeremy. Because Jeremy and his family are about to embark on a little detour of their own. I don't think it was part of Jeremy's plan to leave Discovery, but God has a plan and God has gospel intentions for what he wants to accomplish through Jeremy and through his family. So we're just going to sing one song. And I would encourage you during this time to do some work with God. Pray. Say, God, I don't like where I am right now. Help me to see the gospel intentions that you have for me. Or, God, I know, I know you have a plan. I, pray, I want to pray for this coworker of mine or the student that I'm sitting next to. I want, to, I want you to use me. Spend time working with God. Let the Holy Spirit come and bring a recognition of the truth that's already in you. And if you find that you need prayer, we'll have members of our prayer team over here on the left-hand side of the stage. Go. Don't do it alone. We invite you to come and and share in communion. We've got four stations, two here at the front of the stage and and two in the, the middle of the theater. And we invite you, if you put your faith in Jesus Christ, to come and to celebrate that God had a plan, that he has a plan for us, that he loves us and that he was willing to send his son to die for us, that we would know him so that we would know when we were on these detours that God was for us. This is is your time to sit and be with God and I encourage you to do that during this next song, to, to pray, to receive communion because God has gospel intentions for the detours of your life. We just need to see what they are. Let's pray. Dear Heavenly Father, God, I'm so grateful that that you are in charge and that I'm not. Because too often, Lord, I want to do things my own way. And I want to rely on my own strength and my own understanding. But God, you are God who sees all and knows all and loves us in ways that we can't even comprehend. And Lord, I just pray this morning that you would begin to reveal to each and every one of us, God, the gospel intention that you have in our stories. God, allow our eyes to be open so that we in turn can open the eyes of the blind. I pray for each and every one of us here, God, that you would present us with opportunities to spread the gospel, that we would know our stories that you have given us. God, and that you would use us to make you known. God, we love you. And we thank you for this opportunity to come and be with you. In your name I pray, amen.